Welcome back to the Deeper Cut podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. It is great to be with you again on this beautiful Monday in 2024. We've actually changed the calendar year since our our last recording. And the holidays are are behind us, and we are excited to be back with you. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and our pastor, Phil Henry. Phil, how are you doing on this glorious day? Doing great, Tim. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. Did you have a good holiday? I did have a very nice holiday. Thank you. Uh, It's a great holiday when no one in the house gets sick (laughs) or injured. and which is a rarity when you have three little ones, but we we made it through the holidays unscathed. Um, praise be to God for that. And uh, it, it was very nice indeed. How was your holiday? You had a full house. We did. We did. Um, I, I think I even said it in in my comments in my sermon. I need a vacation to recover from my vacation. <laughs> We, we were just getting used to being empty nesters, Tim, and then all these adult children descended upon us and, and moved my cheese. <laughs> I'm sure it was wonderful, nonetheless. A blessed inconvenience, indeed. Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, it's been, as I've mentioned, a few weeks since we last got together. I think that was before before the holiday and that was just because we you had a week off and we had a a guest preacher Mm -hmm. um the holidays fell um on mondays this year and and so on and so forth so providentially you know we we just we had an extended break from the deeper cut podcast but here we are in a new year um and and an actual actually a new sermon series um that we're, we're just getting into. You preached the very first sermon in the sermon series this past Sunday at Mercy Hill, and that is on First John. So uh, wrapping up, we did the Patriarchs in the fall, and First um, Peter prior to that, and James prior to that, and some smaller things in between. But you're just, you're hitting the, all the Catholic epistles here, um, Phil. Is that, was that the plan all along? Yes, it was. The, the The big question is, will I do Second Peter and Jude next year? <laughs> and and that I don't know, but I'm uh, I'm leaning towards it. Um, we'll we'll see. But I, I have I've I guess I've really gotten a lot out of the idea of these these general these Catholic epistles as um, f- from a chef standpoint, there's spices in James, Peter, and John's letters that that are uh, unique to them, and they they shed such helpful light on the rest of the New Testament, the rest of the Bible, really, in helping us get get a, a really well-balanced and kind of a, a delicately seasoned meal of theology and Christian theology and Christian practice. I will say, I think that they are criminally underrated and overlooked in the new Testament. 
I think people, myself included in this, um, tend to, they're just kind of, they're like the middle America between Hebrews and Revelation. They're just kind of like, just jump right over, you know, Yeah. um, from coast to coast. And so I've really, really enjoyed um, dwelling and spending time in them the past couple of Mm -hmm. years. And I'm looking, really looking forward to this spring um, going through first John. It's certainly a book that um, confounds me a little bit. Uh, just, you know, I, I don't know whether John and I just think differently. <laughs> and so it's hard for me to line up my my train of thought with his. Um, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to what God intends to teach us in our church through our time spent First John. Yeah, just one more comment on on the, your phrase criminally neglected. It did occur to me this week, of course, I've been preparing for this series for a while, but it occurred to me this week that uh, a little like, well, there was two images. Um, there's it's, it's commonplace to observe today that regional accents are going away. So, you know, South Philly, versus South Jersey, for people who know, there's a difference. And of course, mm-hmm. North Jersey and South Jersey, there's definitely a difference. I'm not sure about Central Jersey, you know, who knows. What Central <laughs> Jersey is. That's not open up that can of worms. With apologies to our our 12 listeners, the one who's from Central Jersey, anyway. Mike, um, we're talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's there's a, a can I can I call it a homogenization of English that we're losing some of those some of it is the fault of the internet some of it it's the fault of you know uh, traveling across time zones a more mobile workforce yada 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 so but I'm using that as an illustration that it's it's easy to lose our distinctives. In, in these modern days. And if you don't, it's kind of like if you don't use it, you lose it. And the, the other analogy was uh, kind of functionality in the body. And when you, again, if you don't use it, you lose it. If you stop stretching, if you stop exercising, when people age, they lose functionality. They lose balance erodes, strength erodes, flexibility erodes. And I want to apply both of those, the regional accent idea and the human, I don't know, human capacity, physical capacity, to the canon, which is to say the 27 books of the New Testament. If you're not reading all 27 books, you lose them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, on, I mean, on an individual level, they may as well not be in your Bible because you're not accessing the doctrine and and you know the theology and Christian theology and practice in these whatever books that you don't like or you ignoring let's say it's Philemon or let's say it's Hebrews or let's say you prefer Luke over Mark Mark's gospel even you lose it mm-hmm. but I think churches lose them too so that there's a corporate loss that can be identified. So Mercy Hill, 
if we're not looking at Paul or the Gospels or Acts or the Apocalypse, the Book of Revelation, or the Catholic Epistles, if we're neglecting some of these kind of, these are the five major kind of literature types in the New Testament. And then, of course, you have sub subtypes within those major categories. The church itself will, will lose that kind of institutionally. And then if we can zoom out even more, Tim, and now I'm getting really way out over my skis, but the American church, or if I could just say evangelicals worldwide, uh, you know, Bible-believing Christians, we can't, we can't afford to lose one of the books of the New Testament. We're not adding any new ones. And uh, the ones we've got, I think, both church history, tradition, and the Holy Spirit have conspired to give us 27 crucial, you know, and I think in different quantities, I mean, there's a big difference between second and third John and first John, let alone first John and say Romans or John's gospel. Yeah. But um, so what, what do you think about my my theory here? <clears throat> I, th I think it's a good one. Um, not one I had given much thought to, to be honest, but I think you're you're absolutely right. And I think that is the. I think I hate to put it this way, but I think that's just the normal course of us as as fallen human beings is we're going to gravitate to the thing the the path of least resistance, if you will. So, um, you know, before you before you started down with that hypothesis, I was thinking, you know, you know, I, I mentioned I, my my brain doesn't always track with John, and I mm -hmm. love the Gospel of John, but it is. If if I'm gonna just pick a one of the four gospels to just read, it's generally not John, because I struggle to track with him. You know, like I I can I can read Matthew and I get get nerdy looking at all the Old Testament references or all the mm -hmm. details in Luke or yeah Mark man I could read that in one sitting easily, um, and it's and it's fairly cut and dry not not simple but just you know he he's kind of right to the point with it. And then I look at John and I go, eh, I'll, I'll pick up John next week. And it much to my detriment, you know, my personal detriment. But I think we have a tendency, I think you're absolutely right, to do that even on a larger scale than us ourselves individually where, you know, you, we don't hear a lot of um, minor prophets pre preached um, or even Torah preached. Um, so mm -hmm. it's, it's easy to preach narrative. It's easier to preach Pauline epistles. Probably. I mean, I'm not a mm -hmm. preacher other than mm -hmm. once a year, but I, I would imagine that those things, there's just volumes and volumes and volumes of, and mountains worth of previous church fathers thinking on, on these things. And, um, you, you, I know for myself, like, even I, I say this jokingly, but it's absolutely true. I am so much more comfortable with Genesis than I am with Exodus because Genesis I read like five times a year when I restart my Bible plan. When I fail, I fall short and I go, oh, better start again. I think I've read Genesis one through 10 a million yeah. times at this point. Right. Um, so it's just, I, 
I think we're, we're creatures of habit a little bit in that regard. And, um, it's not, it's not good. It's, it's not good. And it's really yeah. hard to get out of that rut. I think it is. It's so, so, um, great thoughts. I want to add one more little, uh, note to this and then we can switch topics a little bit, get maybe into the text, but, um, you know, because I mentioned it from the pulpit on Christmas Eve, you know that I've recently finished the Isaacson biography of Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. And one of Elon's points that Isaacson quotes him is that, um, and it's, it's a quote, but it's also runs through the whole of the biography. So it makes it really compelling. Mm -hmm. Um, Elon's an immigrant, so he's South African via Canada coming to the United States. And he he brings, I guess, a, a, a larger than, a, a much larger than average, that's an understatement, but he brings an immigrant mindset to his work. He works. Um, he is someone who works and mm. he's observed without being too judgy. I've noticed, but he's observed that people don't like to work. And one of the, one of the things that happened to Twitter was he, you know, he pared down um, the staff from like 7,500 employees to like 1800 employees. It was literally not literally, but they called it a bloodbath and it's probably pretty accurate to say that. Mm. So um, we're losing our work ethic is, is, the, is the big concept there as a country. And, and I joked about smartphones making us dumber and that's become a bit of a commonplace. It's a common joke these days, but you know, we, we don't, you know, do, do people know how to use maps anymore? Um, our, our, is, is life becoming so fast that we're, we're actually losing our human capacity. So, and, and likewise, um, Elon was, was, and he's probably over, he's kind of got an apocalyptic streak to him. You know, he wants to, us to become a multi-planetary species because what happens when this planet dies, you know, so. Um, but but he's he's afraid that we're losing like you could um, so his engagement and this is altogether too long now so I'm I'm not actually turning it into a book review I don't mean to do that but his his interest in Tesla and in AI a lot of it is we want to preserve human consciousness this is kind of a big theme for for Elon. We don't want to lose human consciousness. Now, whether that's possible from a biblical standpoint, uh, I don't think so. But it's it's a fine it's a, it's a fine thought. So a lot of his motivation is is um, to 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 ensure that humanity again grandiose. Elon's at nothing if not grandiose. To, to ensure that humanity doesn't regress into another dark age. Okay. Mm. And so 
back now back to first john i think that's the role of the of the preacher and of the leadership of, of a local church and of really the church in general i was just reading in my devotions today you are you are a light on a mountain you are the light of the world mm. and you are a city on a mountain so um our job we're the salt of the earth and if so you know back to my sermon if people are searching for the good life it's our job like that's why we exist is to help people discover why they what who they are and why they're on the planet so our, our church's motto or mission statement, helping people thrive in Christ, it is bodacious. I mean, it's a it's a it's a mega goal. It's broad yeah. in the extreme. You know, thriving is is not just surviving, as we've said many times. So um, what do you think? I think it's a it's a you, you're you're speaking about the good life, Phil. I mean, really, um, it's what God calls us to do, but that's what He wants for us, invites us into. So, which is, I mean, that not to give away your sermon, we didn't even get into it yet, but you know, that is um, it's C.S. Lewis's imagery of how we neglect the gospel for lesser things, right? We settle for the mud puddles in the backyard instead of the vacation at the shore. Yeah. And God says, I'm giving you the all expenses paid five-star vacation with mm -hmm. me. You get everything you want. You get things you didn't even know you wanted. And you're yeah. content to go, well, no, I didn't pick it. No, you know, the dates don't work out for me. You know, I'd rather fly United instead of American. So I'm just going to stay home, you know, and, and, um, and we think that's a good thing. <laughs> and we trick ourselves into believing right. that that's a, that's a good thing for us to do. Um, when it just would have been a little bit of effort and we would have had to put our, our pride aside and we would get more than we could ever ask for. Um, yeah, so so you said you don't like John, and and I I, I love John. I didn't say I didn't say I don't like John. Uh, I said I I struggle to 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 got it. Um, so you you struggle with John, and I I love John's gospel. It used to be my favorite, but I've never liked the epistles of John. Hmm. And so, part of the experiment here. To, to kind of get back to our, our point of recovering lost theology is if the preacher's not growing, the church isn't growing. And I can't be content to give you yesterday's manna. Uh, I think I think you want and, and really deserve, if I can use that word with quotes, you know, you deserve, the church deserves to hear from a preacher who is on the anvil, hammer and tongs with the Holy Spirit where God is banging away at forging him to be useful, you know, Second Timothy chapter two, useful to the master, ready for every good work. And mm -hmm. so, um, 
that's in, in diving into first john i'm also putting myself in the way of danger i'm crossing the interstate on foot you know six lanes of traffic and i do not know what's going to happen and it's hard it's it is hard but and it's scary um but i'm trying to make sure i don't lose quality of theology by neglecting the hard parts of scripture just because i don't understand you know understand them or they don't immediately resonate with me and i'm i'm right. glad to know that you're feeling some of that discomfort too because that means we're all going to be in it or it's going to be a good journey today yep yes it, it will it most definitely will be so so um, yeah so, so why first john i would say it's neglected this is a long way you know 20 minutes into our conversation it's a long way of saying it's neglected but um the, the additional point that we've drawn out is is the neglect is deadly or potentially deadly for our sanctification yep um but I suspect there's a there's a even a better reason to, or at least as good a reason to study First John, and it's the idea that the good life is um, is Mercy Hill specifically needs to to drink deeply from at this time in our life as a church. This is what I'm. I'm hoping and praying and what God has kind of put on put upon my heart at, at this time in our church's life we need what John has to teach hmm. and um, there's a lot of debate about what you know what is the major theme of John and uh, I, I love Martin Lloyd-Jones has a four four volumes of sermons on this the first volume is called Fellowship with God. I think the last volume is called The Love of God. So, um, and then I don't remember the other two names of his volumes, but certainly confidence or assurance in God. Uh, uh, assurance or confidence about our relationship, i.e. fellowship with God and confidence or assurance about God's love for us in and through Jesus Christ. That's, that's what John's about. That's the major, that's, that's kind of the major notes of John. And what I'm saying is Mercy Hill needs to, needs that. So to those of our church that are listening, you need to have a relationship with God we can describe as shared life, i.e. koinonia, i.e. fellowship. That is absolutely critical. It needs to be meaningfully rich. It can't be the same as last year. It needs to be a growing fellowship with God. It has to be explicitly Christ-centered because there is no fellowship with God apart from Jesus Christ. John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except by me. And First John 
is making that point over and over and over again. But it's a fellowship with God through Christ, who is the incarnate Christ. So it's it's the word of life, whom we have seen, whom we have heard, whom we have looked upon, our hands have touched. So it's the it's the incarnate Christ that enables us to have fellowship with God. And you need to know what that means, and you need to know where you're missing, you know, wh where your Christian walk is, is missing. And I guess, without wanting to sound mean, I'm hoping that, that some people, I'm, I'm hoping that the preaching is sufficiently real, that some people hate it and leave our church because of it. Mm. Because we're at a point in our life as a congregation that we need all hands on deck. And we can't afford, if I can put it this way, uh, the stakes are too high. Souls are at stake. The kingdom of God requires nothing but our best. Um, and we're at, a, we're at a, a flex point in our life as a church that if you're not interested or if you're indifferent, to a vital Christ-centered relationship, fellowship, communion with God and the love of God. Or if you're at all uncertain about that, then this isn't the church for you. Like, if you want that, definitely this is the church for you. But if you're not interested in that, then this is not the right place because we can't afford to be anything less than that. So that's why First John 10. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you just mic dropped me, Phil. No, I, was, I, I appreciate you sharing that. We always try to, to do some, some homiletics talking as we dive in. And being that it's a new year and a new sermon series, I think it's really, really helpful for me and, and for others at Mercy Hill to as always to, to kind of see your heart as our pastor and as our, our primary preacher and what God is teaching you and what the Holy Spirit is leading you to teach us and lead us in. And I, I think you're right. I mean, you made me think of, um, I just finished a book recently which is part of c.s lewis's space trilogy and i, I won't oh. do any spoilers but um, which one um i've read the first two i'm on the third one um but the the it last is. the second one is called paralandra right and um that hideous strength so the, is the third one right i just started that one um but the in paralandra and again i won't i won't give any spoilers i'd highly recommend them to, to our listeners, they're, they're really great um, and fun reads, but there's a, a, a part of the narrative where the main protagonist is in a, is in what he seems to believe is basically a, an impossible situation an an unending impossible situation for him to get out of that he's kind of forced to be in um, for the good of We'll just say all mankind to to some extent, and uh, with doing doing 
um, fighting against evil, essentially. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to um, build himself up, you know, to, to, to find within himself the character and the endurance that he needs to kind of face this trial for as long as it's going to take. And he's struggling. Like he's really struggling to, to find that within himself. And he wants to give up. And what was me? Why, why this? And it occurs to him that this whole time he has been hearkening back to the garden and going, well, what, you know, what if things, how, how would, how could I approach to this differently than what happened in the garden, basically? And then it, it strikes him. You can't go back to the garden and, and that God entered the world as a man and that changed everything. And that the only path forward is in light of, um, and in submission to Christ. And he doesn't use those words, but that's essentially what the, the epiphany that he has. And as soon as that hits his mind, he has like superhuman strength to overcome the trial that he's in because he realizes it doesn't hinge on him. He doesn't need to be the second Adam. The second Adam has already come and, and he's kind of freed to, um, to do what God needs him to do or wants him to do. And I'm, I'm relating this to what you were saying, Phil, because I think often we put this weight on our shoulders. Either we avoid the weight on our shoulders completely and say, well, you know, it's in God's hands. We don't need to, to worry about, um, you know, it, God's in control of everything. And so I can kind of sit cruise control. Or we put so much weight on our shoulders that we think that we have to somehow make up for what Adam and Eve did in the garden um, in some way, or at least in our own lives. And, and the reality is those are both false um, completely. And what we see even at the beginning of the prologue of First John is that the word of life has come and we've seen him and we've heard him and we've touched him like, like very physical evidences here you know all of the senses are involved and that has changed everything and that he's done it all and we're welcomed into the good life that he gives and that he brings and that he is that requires us to do something obviously but it doesn't require us to be any more than he asks us to be we are the sheep right i think of psalm 23 he is the shepherd and he leads us like he he literally will lead us into the valley of the shadow of death at times but he's with us and he'll lead us to green pastures and he's with us and he'll prepare a table for us but all the while we're doing things. We can't just sit around. <laughs> we can't be lazy sheep yeah. that just stay in the green pastures and decide, oh, I'm just going to munch on this grass for forever. You know, so yeah. I've used way too many analogies now for my point, but uh, I'm with you. And I think, you know, it wasn't meant to be like a New Year's type of of message per se, but I think it, it, it providentially appropriate yeah. for Probably where we are in the life of our church. And yeah. 
and that's that's really amazing that it that it worked out that way. Um, I I put some spin on the ball, like I I pushed it a little bit in that direction, um, and I think that's appropriate. But the the other thing is, um, I, I you know if my comments sounded harsh or strong as far as like this isn't the church for you, well that that starts with me. You know, it starts with me. Um, and I felt for a while that I need to dig my well deeper for more of God in my life. And I think First John is going to uh, provide us that opportunity. So. What would you, I mean, if you could distill it into a, a sentence or two, what would you say you, you, you've prepped? Not every sermon, but you've you've studied for Sean, done a lot of reading. Would you say is your hope or your prayer for our church specifically as we go through the the sermon series? What are you hoping that we see or learn? Kind of in a nutshell. I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but that's that's good. So, um, it, in actually in my sermon. Um, I was quoting John Stott when I was talking about the three reasons that the word was made manifest or why, why mm -hmm. Christ, the eternal son of God was made manifest, i.e. he appeared as the incarnate son. And I think I said um, that to take away sins, first John three, five, to destroy the work of the devil, First John three eight, and that First John four nine, so that we might live through him. Which to me means having fellowship, koinonia, with God the Father, through God the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and not not separate from, but absolutely integrated with the fellowship of the saints. So fellowship with God and with the saints through Jesus Christ. We might live through him. So I, I like um, I like first John four nine as a as a as a rallying cry for our church. And and that's inspired, you know, the idea that this is life indeed, you know, true life, the good life, La Bella Vida. Um, that's kind of what led me to propose that as a as kind of a concept for you know linking the word of life to the good life uh, really really finds uh, kind of I think some power in first John four nine but he, they also we'll, we'll get to this next week he also says we're writing that our joy may be full and that you may have fellowship with us even as we have it with God father through Jesus Christ so just a deepening of our congregational connection and a, yep. and a, a, a I want to see us grow in unity as a church over the right things this year. And, um, um, and I, you know, I want that for my own, in my own marriage, you know, starting with me and, and my wife and my kids then I'm hoping that that will also be something that the church 
gets to enjoy as well. That's good, and th thank you for sharing that, Phil. That that is, um, from a pastor's heart, <clears throat> and that'll be. I'll take that up as my prayer too for our church as we go through this series together and learn about First mm -hmm. John and learn from First John. Um, is there anything that? I mean, the sermon was on two verses, and here's my plug. If you haven't listened to the sermon, please go hit pause yeah. and, and go listen to it. But um, actually, the first half of the, that, of the prologue. We usually, we, we usually give that plug right away. But in this yeah. case, I think this conversation would be really helpful before listening to the sermon. <laughs> because we're talking Should about context. Uh, an editor's cut to the sermon recording and say, please go listen to the deeper cut for the first 30 minutes yeah, and then, and then right. come back. <laughs> It'd be like, you know, in the, in the study Bible, the little paragraph at the top, this was our kind of our little paragraph at the top. Tim. Yep. Yep. But yeah, go, go ahead and insert the, the, the sermon now would be the, the encouragement. And, and you were saying, continue that thought. Um, oh yeah. So, so, you know, you're the, the first sermon in, in the series was on the first half of the, of the prologue. If we could, if we could put it that way, yeah. um, yeah. I think you would agree with me in, in that pericope. So, um, I love it by the way, when you preach a whole sermon on like one or two verses. Because it's just yeah. it's a reminder to me of how deep and rich the Word of God is. You know, um, I and I, I know I know I'm saying this tongue in cheek because I know I know <laughs> I know what is actually to come. But don't don't go preaching two verse sermons for the rest of the series, please. No. We, we can't have a, a Lloyd Jones situation where we're in First John for four years. But um, well, he, his first sermon, his first sermon on this was actually from First John five. So he scooped out of the conclusion, set the table, and oh, and cheater! I, I was tempted, but <laughs> but what I wasn't going to do wasn't going to do that to you guys. I, I do have a question, like so, a specific content oh, question, and unless you've got something. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. So, so is the word of life a person or a thing? That, and maybe a, to, to flesh it out a little bit, what did you hear me say in the sermon along those lines, or what are your thoughts along those lines? Yeah, so um, I read 
the first verses of First John as the Word of Life being Jesus as, as a as a person. That's that's how I've always read it. I I I, I can't say that I'm. Uh, I I could see it as almost like a double meaning, perhaps um, potentially, and I think that's kind of where you you were going with it in in the sermon as well. It's it's not at odds but just it's more than what meets the eye in a way um yeah. but i've always i've always read it mostly because of the um which we have heard which we have seen which we have looked upon which we have touched with our hands so that you know that's a physical I think John's specifically trying to call attention to these, to the believers who are hearing this epistle or the sermon, if you will, because he doesn't even introduce himself. He just kind of gets right into it. Um, listen, this isn't just something that, you know, I'm pulling out of thin air here. You know, I, I was with the word of life. I was with him. And, and so everything that, is coming forth from here on out is, um, I don't say recapitulation, but it's it's coming from him and about him, like this this actual actual Christ, not not some philosophical idea. Right, that's definitely true. But you're you're right to see, and I hope I conveyed some of this in in the sermon. You're right to see um, layers of meaning in this phrase. For instance, um, the word became flesh is explicit. That is a person. It's not a. It's not a thing. But you can't hear a person. You hear a person's words. Mm-hmm. And the first descriptor of the word of life that's given is that which we have heard. So we at least now have the person of Jesus and the words of Jesus. And then he says, he says, we've perceived with our eyes and we've looked upon. So what are we perceiving? And the theologians don't know the difference. They don't know why there's two verbs of perception there, two I verbs. Mm -hmm. But uh, what are we looking at? Well, are we only looking at Jesus or are we looking at Jesus as he turns to the disciples and say, who touched me? And then he looks at the woman. This is the example I used in my my sermon, who had the issue of blood for 12 years. And then the crowds are, you know, the whole scene. We perceived the scene. And so Jesus, the man, and his actions, what he's saying, what other people are saying to him, the whole, you know, environment there. And if John, you know, I don't mean to be irreverent, but if if John was, you know, off using the bathroom in that moment, we don't we don't know that. But let's say he was off stage for whatever reason. So then Peter and James tell him, you would not believe what just happened. 
So John was only off stage for five minutes, and what did he miss? He missed the whole healing episode. But he may as well have been there. Mm -hmm. So now we have what Peter saw and heard from Jesus in the scene. I'm, of course, this is a hypothetical. As he reports it five minutes later to John. And then that uh, gets recorded at some point in scripture because John doesn't have the healing of the woman with the issue of blood. That's not in his gospel. That's in Peter, Peter's gospel. It's in Mark, it's in Matthew, and it's in Luke. So, um, and then we have a little later on, it says this, he repeats at the end of verse two, that which we have perceived and we have heard. So there's a repetition there. We proclaim to you. Um, verse two, we perceived that life. We bear witness and proclaim to you. But then, but then he, he equates eternal life with this word of life. So no one perceives right. eternal life because that was with the Father from before eternity. So John's really stuffing everything in to this phrase, word of life. It's the person of Jesus. It's his actual body. That he existed you know, in space and time. It's his ministry, his actions, what he does, what he what he does do, what he doesn't do. It's what he says. It's his actual words. It's John's right. interpretation, his spirit-inspired interpretation of the words uh, that are recorded in the gospel, and then his explanation of the gospel to this church in Ephesus or, or wherever wherever the church is. And then uh, the recording of the letter is its own kind of additional layer on the word of life. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a power-packed phrase is what I'm getting at. Right. It's the entire Christian message from incarnation to sermon. But it even goes, it goes back. It's the entire Christian message from the, the, the eternal triune God all the way through the incarnation, all the way to the sermon that we're here on Sunday, the word of life. That, that, blew, that blows my mind. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is amazing. Um, and I, I mean, you use, you use the turn of phrase, but I think it's true that to some extent, you know, we, we can't really wrap our, it's hard to wrap your head around that. Just how, how big and how great our God is in that regard, that, that he, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to do a poor job of explaining what I'm thinking. So, um, it is amazing. It is amazing. It's amazing that um, that we're included. I'll put it that way. And yeah, that's, that's really that's really what blows blows my mind the, the most. 
yeah, my wife said there was there was a lot of theology there, and I'm like, yeah, that that's partly why we don't want to go go to this letter because it's so it's such a mind trip at points. Hmm. By the way, a quick preview, and I I wanted to drop this little preview in the sermon, but there wasn't time. But the um. There's a there's a famous passage in First John that's disputed. It's about the water and the blood and the spirit in First John five. And in my preparation, and this relates to what we're talking about, because in my preparations and study, I've become convinced that the water and the blood refer to the two bookends of Jesus's ministry, his baptism and his crucifixion. So in this phrase that John coins, you know, it's nowhere else in the in the Bible spoken of in this way. Maybe in John three we have a slight hint of it by uh, uh born of water and the spirit. You kind of have a little bit of a of a similar it's on a different topic. It's not referring to Jesus but to the believer, but it's it kind of has a similar right. feel. But in one phrase he refers to the entire earthly ministry of Jesus, the water and the blood <laughs> and so we're we're preaching the life of christ that's what i'm trying to get at hmm. we're preaching jesus in the, the full gospel is the full message of everything that he did said and taught and of course in the gospel he says if we were to write all of that the whole world couldn't contain the books but these that's things right. are written that you might have eternal life. So. Hmm. Were there any, um, anything that uh, stood out in, in the sermon that that's uh, worth mentioning again? We got about we got a little, a little bit of time left to to burn here, Tim. <laughs> um, one of the things that you you and you actually mentioned it twice, so that so so you really made the point stick. But one of the things you mentioned in your in your first point which was the word of life is a means to recover the life that god intended for us um you mentioned that the tree in the garden was a temptation to find life outside of the word of life which um i thought was very helpful to to think about and I always really appreciate, Phil, when you ground your sermons or you, you make sure that you provide the um, redemptive historical approach to what you're preaching and to what the Bible, you know, whatever part of the Bible that we're, we're studying. Mm -hmm. So that, that was really, I thought, great and helpful to, to, um to bring it back 
you know, to, to the garden itself and go, this is, you know, John is pretty, John is explicit as the author of, of both the, the epistle and of the gospel. I mean, he starts off kind of in, the, in a very similar fashion in both. He does. With the beginning. And, but it's, it's different than any other Genesis account in the Bible. So I, right. I, I just thought that was really helpful to not sweep that under the rug. Um, not sweep it under the rug, but you know, not to not, you actually, you called that out and we, t- and you spoke about it. And I thought it was, it, at least for my mind and for my heart, it was, it was a helpful thing to consider. I, I wrote it down in my notes, my sermon mm-hmm. notes um, that I was taking. Cause I thought, yeah, all right, well that makes sense and it ties to like it helps me ground what I'm hearing and what John's saying, not just in this kind of thing separated from the rest of what God has done. You know, this is grounded right from the beginning and in the garden and that life that God had offered to our foreparents in the garden is the life that he wants us to have even now it's just Mm -hmm. we we can't have it in and of ourselves we can't have it apart from christ apart from the word of life and but it's no less than that right like this the rest that existed there is no less yeah yeah now even though we're after the fall so right and that life doesn't come as easily as we would like. But that that's also yeah. part of the consequences of the fall, you know, thorns and thistles and so forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a persevering and enduring requirement necessary. There's, there's a necessary endurance component to any formula or any articulation of the good life has to carry with it a kind of resiliency, tenacity, grit. You know, these are kind of words that people are throwing around a lot these days. I think in, in a good sense, we're recognizing that there's no way to live well without living with some degree of constant, steady endurance kind of, you know, being expressed. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, addictions, and uh, other kind of hedonism, sort of self-centered pleasure-seeking, which increasingly describes America, honestly, and the church, sadly, kind of almost not in a medical sense, but in a spiritual sense, an autistic lack of any self-awareness of anyone else around us. and John's gospel doesn't have any explicit, and this is an aside, there's no explicit call to mission in John's gospel. And that bothered me at first, except that um, when you read it in light of, I'm sorry, John's epistles, when you read the epistles, though, without any explicit call to mission in light of the gospel, where there is clearly, uh, I mean, it's the gospel, so it's, it's, it's by definition, it's a missional document. Mm. Um, so there's that, but the epistles are trying to cure us of our 
selfishness. And that is the mission of the church, is to not be selfish, to love as we have been loved, to, to surrender, mm -hmm. sacrifice, and suffer for others as God has surrendered and sacrificed and allowed his son to suffer for us. And so that going back to your question, what do you want our church to, to hear? Well, I mentioned First John 4, 9. I think relatedly that we would really learn to love one another and, and be the picture of the body of Christ that God wants us to be. Hmm. So that's why we have to go back to the garden because that puts it all in context. That's, a, that's my... Um, this may have been in our pre pre show conversation, but that's my crypto eschatology sneaking. <laughs> it's and for our listeners, it's it's Voss's point that uh, eschatology precedes soteriology, and soteriology serves eschatology. So to explain. Eschatology is the arc of God's plan for the world that existed before there was a need for salvation. And salvation follows uh, God's arcing plan for the world, the storyline story of the world. Salvation is a point in that storyline, and his purpose is to get us back to the storyline. The problem is we can't get back to it in a sin-free context. It's a semi-realized eschatological reality. Right. So we experience part of the storyline, part of the good life now. Part of it is on is on loan, in other words. But the other part is uh, is delayed gratification. Hmm. Like I said in the beginning, I said maybe our struggle is that we don't even know how to define life. Is it? Are we defining life? in this life or the next life <laughs> <laughs> wah, 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 wah. and I, I don't usually notice people's reaction but uh one of our brothers in the church when i said that he he just sort of sort of smiled and knowingly nodded his head when i said that and i'm like you're you're my brother man like we we were on the same wavelength at that point <laughs> he and i both kind of sensed even though it wasn't like a, we didn't have like an eye conversation, but, it, but right. I knew that we were kind of surfing the same wave, if I could put it that way. It's like, yeah, right. he, like me, is often trying to get the benefits of eternity now. And we ignore the benefits that we have now as if, oh, we're poor, we're meager, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're hard put by, you know, and, and John is writing to assure us and to give us confidence and boldness that we are not badly treated. That the hmm. portion of good life that we've been given is sufficient. Hmm. So, hmm. yeah, um, something I read recently um, said that one of the underlying or one of the most foundational messages of the entire Bible can be summed up um, in four words in Psalm 23, he is with me. And we see that from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And 
that's the portion that we have mm -hmm. and he is with he is with us mm -hmm. so but i can i i can totally <laughs> um appreciate and and um agree with you and in, in wanting to kind of steal um steal from heaven for now or try to you know <laughs> I don't, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait on these things. <clears throat> One of the things real quick, Phil, because um, I had been reading it this morning, you mentioned love, you know, wanting us to, to love one another as a church. And um, John is, is often called like the apostle of love because he speaks of love mm -hmm. so much. So I had read that, out of 221 instances of the word love in the New Testament, 42 or nearly 20% occur in John's epistles. And that the, um, in John, uh, in first John alone, he, he mentions love 36 times, which is more than any other book in the Bible other than the Psalms. So, yeah. Which is ten times, <laughs> how, how much longer? Not 10 times, 50 times, no, 25 times longer. Yep. Yeah. So if we, if we don't, if we don't pick up on, on, on that and, and that desire and that call that, I think we're going to hear from John then, you know, as a church, we're, we're missing the boat, I think a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, cause it seems to and beat so, that drum a lot and I'm looking forward yeah. to hearing. And, and it doesn't show up in the, in the prologue explicitly, but he does mention joy and fellowship and the, uh, we and you, uh, pronouns are, are strong theme and, and that's uh, that's kind of setting me up for for next Sunday's sermon. So love is going to trickle in slowly, but it 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 all starts. I think the foundation of love is knowing that God is God and I am not. Mm -hmm. I am called to have to define my life in relationship with Him. So mm -hmm. that's uh, that's that's the message for this week and. Um, I was, you know, all things considered, I was pretty happy with just what I learned going in and um, kind of once I start opening my mouth, it's not a product, but product now belongs to the church. And so it's the church to evaluate the sermon. But in terms of my own preparations, I felt um, I, I often say I did, I did as best as I could given the material that you have to work with. <laughs> The rest is up to the Lord. I, I think it was a great sermon, brother, and I, I really appreciated it. I've I've openly admitted now on this recording, and I haven't posted it yet, so I can delete it and no one would ever know, but I've admitted that I struggle with John and kind of wrapping my head, <laughs> getting on the same wavelength as John, and you, you certainly have helped me to begin to do that already. So thank you for that. Right. Any um any last thoughts on on the first two verses before we we wrap up for the day? And we got to save some content for you know the rest yeah. of the, the rest of the series. 
Um, I'll just do a little coda to my question, what is the word of life? And this is quoting from I. Howard Marshall's commentary. He says, um, he says, so far the object could simply be a word or message, but now the author goes on to add, we have seen with our eyes. It is a strange message which is visible and the qualification with our eyes leaves no doubt that literal seeing is meant. The point is hammered home by the further statement that the writer had gazed upon it and had touched it with his hands. These descriptions of something perceived by the senses mean that the writer cannot be thinking merely of a message that was heard. He must be thinking of the appearance of the word described in John 1, 1 through 18, who was made flesh as Jesus Christ. But why does the writer say this in such an ambiguous way? He's thinking, of two, he's thinking of two things which are nevertheless one. On the one hand, he's thinking of the Christian message, which is the object of Christian proclamation and is heard by men. He himself is proclaiming it to his readers so that they may enjoy the blessings which come to those who receive it. This message was preached by Jesus himself. Jesus preached the kingdom of God, in other words. On the other hand, Jesus himself can be described as the word. The message takes concrete form in him. I may send a girl a message. This is the quote that I like. I may send a girl a message saying that I love her. I can also send her a costly ring, which will be immediately recognizable to her as a tangible message of love. Jesus is both the preacher of God's message and the message himself. Paul could say, we preach Christ showing that the message and the person are one. Isn't that good? That is really good. That is really good. And great for the deeper cut. Yeah, as much as I wanted to read that from the pulpit, I, I thought I should save it. So. <laughs> my wife has, you know, Polly has her rules. This would be my last comment. She has her rules for Bill Henry sermon. And if I break Polly's rules, there is not hell to pay, but heck to pay. <laughs> One of them is no long quotes from dead theologians. I think I Howard Marshall is deceased, but I'm not sure. I see you could have looked that up and then you might have been safe. Well, she doesn't like long quotes from any theologian, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, it was a, it was a, uh, I'm glad that you shared that because um, it was helpful and succinct in, in explaining that I think what is perceived there, but also hard to, again, to, you know, wrap our, our minds around, but what a, a beautiful way to put it. Um, so thank you for, thank you for that. I'm glad that we have this avenue in order to, to let those things bubble up to, uh, to our ears and to the ears of right. those in our church and those listeners that are tuning in. So, it's been a good one, Phil. I'm looking forward to, um, to the spring and going through this with you. Um, if, if you out there who are listening 
are as excited about this new sermon series as I am, I'd invite you to to join us um, for one or more of the recordings that we have upcoming. We're always looking for and, and um, welcoming in any guests who would want to join us for the conversation. And if not, you want to just be a, a silent listener on the other end of of your earbuds. That's great too. We thank you for for listening and being part of our our dialogue, even if it's um, just as an active listener. Thanks for supporting us in that way. We pray, uh, as always, that this has been a blessing to you. This conversation. Please, if you haven't heard Phil's sermon from this past Sunday, go check it out on our other. Um, podcast, which is the Sermon Podcast. It's already been posted for your uh, for your usage in whatever podcast app that you you like to utilize. And um, we hope to join have you join us again next week as we continue in First John. And um, thanks again for being with us. We'll talk to you then. <laughs>